Good morning, family. Um, feel free to follow along or sit back, close your eyes, and listen to the word of the Lord. Romans 7, 1 through 12. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an, adulter an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we, are, we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Well then, shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it, was, what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Angela. <clears throat> so it is a long walk. <clears throat> good morning, church. Well, the law is the topic of the passage this morning, if you didn't catch it. Paul used the phrase law 14 times over 12 verses. Uh, and the law uh, is a concept for Christians that can be confusing at times. Uh, there are basically two ends of the extreme that, that people hold sometimes. Sometimes uh, there are Christians who believe that, yes, we should, we should bring back all of the Old Testament law and we should obey it all. But then on the other end of the extreme is this idea that, no, we are New Covenant, New Testament believers, and the law, it no longer applies to us. And even reading the passage this morning, you may even get that idea that we are no longer under the law. Well, the laws can be confusing. It can be confusing. Uh, pastor and theologian Dan Doriani, he likes to use the illustration of traffic laws, and he, he likes to use it to show that we can uh, violate traffic laws in three different ways. We can be totally ignorant to them, we can get confused by them, or we can just simply uh, outright be in rebellion against them. Uh, for me, in my experience with uh, traffic laws, uh, it's going to startle you, but I only, in my whole life, have only gotten one ticket. 
And now that's an astounding statistic, especially if you knew how much I speed, right? But here, here's what happened. Uh, in, in my brilliance, one morning on the way to work, I decided I was going to take a brand new way to work. And so I was going through uncharted territory, neighborhoods I've never, ever been through. And I remember turning the corner and getting into traffic and getting right behind a giant suburban. And it was going terribly slow. And in my frustration, I was looking through the window trying to figure out what in the world is this person doing? And I could see them. It looked like they were fumbling with their cell phone, right? And what happened to me? Well, I got super frustrated and super angry and like, why, you know, there's another person on their phone, not paying attention, going super slow. So I decided in my brilliance to zoom around them. And that's what I did. I got in the next lane and, and headed right past them just in time to see that I was in a school zone. And guess what? There was a cop there too. And he saw that I was in the school zone, pulled me over. And despite, despite my pleading of ignorance and the fact that there was this person on their cell phone, I still got a ticket. And if you've ever gotten a ticket for speeding in a school zone, you know that it is a whopper. It is. It's an expensive ticket. Uh, that's, a, that's an example of ignorance to the law. I didn't know I was in uh, a school zone. Uh, traffic laws can also be confusing in this way, right? On the highway, it says 70 miles per hour. But isn't there some kind of unwritten rule that you can go five miles over and you'll never get a ticket? I mean, some of you guys think it's 15, right? You know, I can go 85, right? Well, where is that exact line? If I'm going 71 and a 70, are they really going to give me a ticket? So it can be confusing. And then there's those times when we just outright rebel against the law. We break the law. Yes, I've done it. When I've been late to meetings and whatnot, I just, you know, put the hammer down and go and I speed and I am at risk of getting a ticket. Uh, laws can be confusing. We can break them out of ignorance, confusion, or outright rebellion. In our passage this morning, as we look at the law, we're confronted with this startling idea Paul gives us that we are released from the law. We are free from the law. But the question is, then what is the function of the law? What is the function of the law? So we're going to look at freedom from the law, the function of the law, and then what purpose have we been released from the law, and that is the fruit of the law. And so there you have it. Three F's this morning. Magically, you get three F's. It doesn't always work out that way. Freedom, function, and fruit. Uh, but this morning, it works out that way. Now, before we jump into that first point, I just want to caution you or maybe better alert you. Uh, this type of passage is a passage that requires lots of explaining. So there's going to be lots of explaining to do this morning. So uh, I just want you to buckle up, uh, grab that coffee, uh, do what you have to do. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of explaining, especially in the first couple points uh, it's a complicated, confusing passage, and I really want you guys to understand the function of the law uh, for believers today, and I want you to understand what it means to be free or released from the law. So let's look at that first point, freedom from the law, verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. 
so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so here you have it right away, and he says it a few other times in the passage, that we are released from the law. We are free from the law. We have freedom. And I'm going to give you the thesis, the idea. What does it actually mean? I'm going to give it to you right away. What it means is we have been freed from the condemnation and the power of the law. We have been released from the condemnation and the power of the law. Now I want to unpack all of what that means. The law of God, it being in place, requires our perfect obedience. I love the fact that Mark showed us James 2.10, what James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of it all. And that describes all of us here this morning. None of us keeps the law of God perfectly. Therefore, we are all guilty of the law. We stand condemned. We can be sentenced by the law. And what is that sentence? That sentence is death. It's physical death. It's spiritual death. It's life eternally apart from God. Paul would say it this way in Galatians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so you have it here even in this passage in Galatians. Paul is telling us that we cannot be justified by law-keeping. In fact, we are under its sentence, under its curse, which is death. But also in this passage... You may pick up on the fact that not only are we released from the condemnation of death, but we're released from its power. Look at those words. For all who rely on the works of the law. Now I'm going to give you two ways that we're released from the power of the law. The first is captured in that Galatians chapter 3. And it's this way. Our predisposition... Our intuition, our built-in mechanism of wanting to justify ourselves by law-keeping, by doing good, by works righteousness. One of our elders, Richard Hostetter, says it this way, do good to get good or do bad to get bad. That's the way we think when it comes to the law of God. We have in here this morning a few, few people who are familiar with computer programming. Uh, you know that in computer programs, there's this thing called a function. And a function is a specific sets of code that does something exactly. Every time the computer programmer calls that function, it, it goes to those lines of code and it does it over and over again exactly the same every single time. In this way, we are the same with the law of God. We are pre-programmed. We have that exact same function. When it comes to our standing before God, we base our standing on our law-keeping, on our performance, on our obedience, on our works. 
It's why if you ask almost everyone on the street, you know, why are you going to get into heaven? Why is God going to let you into heaven? They're going to say, well, it's because my good works, they outweigh somehow my bad works. I do more good than bad. That's, we are built to relate to God based on our works. That's the first way that we are released from the power of the law. The law arouses that within us, that we relate to God based on works. And Paul is saying we're released from that influence of the law. The second way we're released from that power is alluded to in this passage in verses 5, 8, and 9. In verse 5 it says, Our sinful passions aroused by the law. And then in 8 and 9 it says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul here, it sounds a little confusing, Paul here is referring to a power that the law has over us to entice us, provoke us to disobey the law of God, okay? Now, if you're a parent in here, you may know a little bit of what I'm talking about, right? When you tell your young child not to do something, what inevitably happens? They inevitably go and do the very thing you told them not to do. We have a lot of uh, young families in here this morning, and some of you have not child-proofed your house yet, and so you're, you're all the time saying, don't touch this or don't touch that, and what, what happens? Well, they, they do that. They, they touch it. Um, that's what Paul is talking about here. Sin, our sinful passions aroused by the law. The law does the very same thing in us. It causes us to want to break it. It causes us to want to push the boundary, right? It's kind of like speeding on the highway. You know, how fast can I go, right? How fast can I go? And Paul is saying here now, we have been released from the law. We have freedom from this power, okay? We have freedom from the influence and power of the law to entice us to sin and freedom from the power of the law that, that entices this internal mechanism that wants to rely on our works. That's the power, and then I, I covered the condemnation of the law. We're released from death, the sentence of the law. And I hope you guys follow that first part there, right? Condemnation of the law, power of the law. But how, how now are we freed from the law's condemnation and power. That's the subject of verses one through four, where Paul is using this analogy of marriage and death, okay? And what he's basically saying there is, if there's no death, then you are bound. If you are in a marriage and your husband is still alive, you are still bound by marriage law to stay married to that person. But once the husband is dead, the wife is now free to be joined to another. That's perfectly legal. They are no longer bound by marriage law that says, no, you cannot have two husbands at one time. So in a similar way, Paul is saying 
We have died to the law and have been joined to Jesus. In verse four, it says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Our past condition, apart from Christ, we were bound to the law. It's as if the law was our husband. We were married to the law, but, but through faith in Jesus, when we are brought into union with Jesus and Jesus dies on our behalf, we are now dead to the law. And now we belong to another. It's as if we are wedded to Jesus through our union with him. And I hope you see that because Jesus died on our behalf, we are released from the law. When he dies, he, filled, he fulfills what the law demands. That sentence we had talked about, that condemnation that we were under, he actually fulfilled it by his death on our behalf. And then with his perfect life, he fulfills the perfect obedience, the not breaking of a single point of the law that was required of us. And the beautiful thing we see in verse four is we've been released from this old relationship with the law and what now? We've been brought into a new, beautiful, wonderful relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus is the one who sets us free, who invites us into a new relationship with God through him. That's what it means to have freedom from the law. That's how it's actually accomplished. So when we were in chapter six and we ran across those phrases that we were no longer under the, the law, but under grace, that's what Paul is talking about. It's grace because it's not based on our obedience. It's based on Jesus's obedience. It's based on what he has accomplished, not what we accomplish. That's what it means to have freedom from the law. I hope you stuck with me with that. Let's look now at the question that that's going to raise uh, for Paul. It's probably in your mind. Then what is the function of the law? What is its purpose? What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul is anticipating and he's gonna answer like, what, what is the purpose of the law then? I mean, it is confusion, confusing for Christians, but if you followed that first point, you know that we are released now from condemnation. You're released now from the power of the law, but you're not released from obedience to the law. So how are we to understand it as a New Testament believer? And there are many folks in here this morning who are well-studied, who are theologically astute. You're, you're well acquainted with John Calvin and his threefold uh, usage of the law. And we're gonna, we're gonna touch on that a little bit, but we're really wanting to deal with what scripture is giving us this morning. So we're gonna walk through these passages and see what it means for a New Testament believer. What is the function of the law for us? And the first thing we see in that verse seven is this, that the law clearly defines and it reveals the profound, deep nature of sin. 
It reveals and identifies sin. It's just like all those traffic signs around town, clearly marking what you cannot do or what you can do. There's no ambiguity. God's law is not ambiguous. We know clearly that you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. It's not like this, the, you know, these uh, legal agreements where you, where you get, where you've got this very small, fine, confusing print. God's law was, was given powerfully to his people at Sinai, and it was recorded and preserved for us in his holy word. It's not confusing and we now know it. Interestingly, people around the planet who are not even God's people seem to know God's law. What is interesting in these verses, though, is that Paul chooses the 10th commandment as an example. He chooses you shall not covet as something to talk about. And why is that? Coveting is that lust, that inordinate desire to have something that belongs to someone else. And I say it's interesting because of this, that coveting shows that sin is not merely something external or on the surface. It's not just our behavior, but sin is profound. It is deep. It is rooted in the core of our being. It is rooted in our very heart, in our motivations, in our desires, in our wants, in our will. And Paul is showing us that sin goes so much deeper than just mere external obedience. Sin is a matter deep in our heart. Jesus even shows this in the New Testament. He shows us that, yes, to hate someone in your heart is to murder. To lust is to commit adultery. It goes far deeper than external obedience. It requires a new heart. A new obedience, a transformation in our heart that transforms our very desires and affections so that we now love God and love other people. The law shows us clearly that we are all sinners and that we're all in deep need of a Savior, therefore. This is what John Calvin would refer to as the law being used as a mirror. It, it's a mirror that it points, when we look into the law of God, it shows us how far we fall short of his perfect standard. Not just simply external means, but deep within the heart of every one of us, we rebel against God. Our desires and our affections are disordered. So the law is a gracious gift of God, showing us of our need, leading us to a Savior. Secondly, the law is good for people, the people of God. Why? Because it reveals the perfect will of God. Look with me at verse 12. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Now, for the, the audience reading this passage for us this morning, when we come to verse 12, it should be abundantly clear now that God's law is not something that we can set aside. It's, it's not something that is without use. But the scripture is saying it's holy, it is righteous, it is good. 
And so the best possible way for us as God's people to flourish and to live is to live within God's law, to live within the boundaries that he has outlined for his people. Now, if you were here last week, and I preached a little bit on this, and I talked about this idea of obedience to God is a good thing, and I used the illustration of our pet fish. Right? Our, our, we, had, uh, we had fish when our kids were little, and the best life for those fish was to live inside of the fishbowl and not, not look outside of the fishbowl and think that there is something better outside. Outside is just shriveling up and death. Within the boundaries of the fishbowl is flourishing, is life. And so the utmost of human flourishing, the most freedom that we can experience as limited Created beings is actually within the constraints that God has given us in his holy word. Most of you guys here this morning have a car. And you have a, a car operating manual. But I, I'm wagering that most of you haven't read your manual. <laughs> if you look in your manual, I know, I know in my car manual it has things that I'm supposed to do and, and things that I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to tow over 5,000 pounds. I'm supposed to change the oil and rotate the tires and do all these things. Why? Because the manufacturer, the designer of the car knows better for proper, proper operation of that car, for the best performance of the car, we have to do these things or not do certain things. Our designer and creator has given us in his law a way to flourish, a way to best operate. Do we believe that God's word gives us that, or do we believe that God's word has been given to us to restrict us from his very best, from his good? Scripture this morning is telling us that the law is holy, the law is righteous, the law is good. It is a way for God's people to flourish. That actually is uh, one of Calvin's points. We actually covered two of Calvin's threefold purpose of the law. The law is a mirror that shows us our sin and leads us to Christ, and the law is a guide for holy living, for flourishing for God's people. That is the function of the law that we see in Scripture this morning. And let's jump now to the fruit for God. So God has set us free from captivity of the law for what purpose? Why? We understood how, but why? In verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So what is the purpose? Why did he do this? He does this so that we can be taken out of captivity and brought into a fresh new relationship with God himself through his son, Jesus. A relationship that is described like a marriage. He talks about us being joined to Jesus. And it goes back to that illustration he used of marriage. We are joined as if we are married to him and him who looks at us as his beloved, as the one's he delights in the ones he desires with his whole heart. And he brings us into this new relationship. Why? So that we may bear fruit for God. 
Now, this idea of fruit is all throughout the scripture, and this morning we only have time to touch on two ways that we can bear fruit for God. The first way in Ephesians chapter 2, you're familiar with this one, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God has created us, brought us into a fresh new relationship so that we can bear fruit by our works. And so works are a part of the Christian life, not in the old way, relying on works as a means to gain favor with God, but as a means to live out a life with Jesus, flourishing, bearing fruit in this way. The second way you're also may be familiar with is in Galatians chapter 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Interestingly, Paul would say, against such things there is no law. We are to bear fruit in a couple of different ways in our good works by living out the positives of the law, loving our neighbors, giving them our affection, but loving them also in deed, but then also by growth in character, by growth as the Holy Spirit is working in us, developing in us these things of love, joy, peace, patience. And so it's fruit that benefits others. It's fruit that, that we actually benefit from ourselves in our own heart and life. And so this morning, I don't want you to see this as a challenge of, of another thing I've got to add to on my to-do list that I've got to bear fruit for God. Rather, see this as an invitation that you've been brought into a new relationship with Jesus and you can flourish in that relationship in a new way. And he says this in verse six, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. This new way is a way that the Spirit is transforming our hearts so that we delight now to do his will rather than see God's law as a duty. You know, when we moved to Orlando uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, we planted a couple of fruit trees, and since then we've planted some more. I've got, I've got a banana tree and a papaya tree and a mango tree and a key lime tree, and sadly, none of them have, have borne us fruit, but there were some trees already there, a couple avocado trees, from which we've had two seasons now of, like, huge amounts of avocados, and we have benefited by the fruit, our, our friends and neighbors have benefited from the fruit of this avocado tree. And we have hope that because of this, that the soil is good and that the other fruit trees are going to bear fruit. When we were released from the law, Jesus took us out of that bad soil of the law that led only to death. And he has put us into a new relationship with him, serving by the Spirit, in which the Spirit is at work in our heart, transforming our hearts to do what the law could never do, and that is to make us want to obey, to delight to obey, to flourish by obeying. 
And so that's the invitation this morning. If, if you have yet to have been joined to Jesus by faith, you are still held captive to the power of the law, its influence in your life. You're still operating your relationship with God. You're relying on works. Law is enticing you to always break it. And sadly, you're under its sentence of death. And so I encourage you this morning to come to faith in Jesus, be joined to him, be wedded to him by faith. And the invitation this morning is to be wedded to Jesus by faith, be brought into this new relationship with him so that you may belong to Jesus. And in doing so, you might find flourishing and that you might bear fruit by obeying God's law. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And at times, especially with passages like this this morning, we can feel challenged to understand what it is you are trying to communicate to us. Lord, but you declare that your law is holy. It is right and it is good. It is good for your people. And in it, we can find flourishing. And Father, we thank you that through Jesus, we have been released from the power and the condemnation of the law, that through Jesus, we've been brought into a relationship with you, our Heavenly Father. When you look upon us, you always delight. We are your beloved, and we rejoice in that this morning, that we have been set free. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.